0: Lynn Hiles Ministries presents, Dr. Lynn Hiles, That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again this week and trust that you've been following us on the series that we've been teaching from the Gospel of John. Uh, We really have been, I think, digging in some real nuggets of of gold truth, if you will. And uh, this this book has just become exciting to me, because I'm seeing things in it I I haven't seen before. And uh, as I do, I'm sharing them with you, our audience, and I trust you're being blessed by them. Uh, We have taught, I I, I don't know how many programs now uh, on the Gospel of John. We are going to talk about the fourth chapter today, and probably for the next several weeks and we have built some, uh, I think, some pretty incredible truths. Uh, If you remember right, when we first began to talk about the Gospel of John, our primary Scripture uh, was from the latter part of the Gospel of John, where he said, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son, and that believing, you would have life through His name. And, you know, at first glance, that's a fairly surface truth. But when I really began to delve into the Scriptures, I, I really began to see that, you know, first of all, uh, the Word declares that if all of the things that Jesus had done were written in a book, He said, I reckon that the world could not contain the books. So it looked to me like, of all the hand-picked things that happened, whether they are miracles, you know, as I've said previously in some of our previous uh, programs, I said, you know, that there were seven times that he said, I am. There were seven sayings on the cross. Uh, there are seven things that he mentions in all uh, four gospels. Uh, in, in other words, he follows a pattern. But as I began to, uh, you know, kind of really dig around in this, I really started to see that what he was doing was not accidental uh, i'm going to jump ahead of myself a little bit and talk about this to kind of set the stage for it but you know especially when you get into the uh, probably i think it's about chapter 6 and we'll get there sooner or later but uh, uh, chapter 6 of saint john he talks about he, he he literally does the miracle of the loaves and fishes and uh, it is, when at first glance it just looks like, you know, Jesus is a provider, and, and that is powerfully there. I'm not taking anything from that surface truth. But hidden underneath of the surface is another layer. Because Jesus does something that would have been a story or an act that would have, should have, I'll say it that way, should have jogged the memories of this first century bunch of Jewish people who had been literally told the stories of the Exodus journey and of Moses and how they came out. of They could quote most of them, the first five books of the Bible verbatim. And they would have known stories about the Exodus journey. But when you see the picture where Jesus has just come out of uh, 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 of a city, and they cross now, I believe it was a sea, and they are in the wilderness. And they do that right after the Feast of Passover. Now let me just remind you that that's very similar picture to what happened under Moses. They left Egypt, they crossed over the Red Sea, and they are in a wilderness, and in that wilderness God gives them manna to eat, and He feeds them on the bread from heaven. It is in that very setting in John's Gospel that Jesus would say that He would take them out across the sea into a wilderness to teach them, because it's a picture of Him being the leader of another exodus. But this exodus is not an exodus out of a physical piece of real estate as much as it is an exodus out of an old covenant. And everything about John's gospel as he's pointing to Jesus is showing them once again what is better about this new covenant. In other words, he begins to show them as he brings them out into the wilderness and feeds them on the five loaves and two small fishes. He literally says this to them after they said to him, what sign do you show us that you're the Christ? What sign do you show us? And Jesus, in that very same type of environment that Moses led them out, and God gave them manna, Jesus leads them out, they cross the sea, they come to the wilderness, and Jesus feeds them on the bread that He breaks, and they said, show us what sign do you show us? And He said, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they're dead. But I am the true bread that came down from Heaven. In other words, you thought that was the bread, but that's not the bread. I'm the living bread. And so everything He begins to show them, as He begins in John chapter 1, He starts to show them uh, that he is the, the true light of the world. That you thought Moses was the light, but he's not the light. Go back and you can go back and, and watch the seven I.M.s that I already filmed. You you thought that old creation was it, but he starts out in, in in John one with a with the creation motif and shows that that was the old creation, but Jesus is the beginning of a new creation. And uh, in chapter 2 he, uh, you know, he brings them to uh, a wedding at Cana and he begins to show them something about this new covenant that it's like a wedding being married to him. And John, of course, mentioned in these couple first chapters is the friend of the bridegroom who introduces the bride to her husband and what he's showing in the miracle of uh, 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 of, of the turning the water to wine is that in the new covenant what he does is he puts water in six water pots, six being the number of man, they are stone clay pots. He puts water in, in in other words, in the New Covenant, the Spirit don't just move on us, He moves inside of us, and He He fills them with water. Just like He fills us with the Spirit. And He turns the water into wine, which is symbolic of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, and that becomes the new method by which He would purify us, and that He would bring us into a new covenant where the work of the Holy Spirit would do the work inside of us. Jesus then comes and cleanses the temple, and when He cleanses the temple, He said, you've made my Father's house a den of thieves. He cleansed the temple, and it's at that place that He says to them, if you destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. And he was not talking about the temple as they, they, they thought in the natural. Once again, see, he's pointing to natural things to try to show them a spiritual reality. And so when he says to them, uh, you know, uh, you destroy this temple, what he's saying to them is, you think this is the temple, but that's not the temple that I'm really interested in. He's showing them that he was talking about the temple of his body. And in reality, in the New Covenant, the Apostle Paul quotes from Ezekiel 37, and when he's bringing correction to the Corinthian church, I believe it is in in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and says to them, what do you not know? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? So he's starting to show them that everything under the old covenant was a natural, it was the type, and this is the substance. That was the shadow, this is the reality. That was the shadow, this is the light. And everything in the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation there are multiple pictures and snapshots typologically of the redemption and the redemptive work of Christ, because in the volume of the book, it was written about Him. And so, uh, you know, when you start looking for Jesus, you will find Him in every aspect of this book. When we come to chapter 3, just giving you a little bit of review here, But when we come to chapter 3, we have Nicodemus who is a chief master teacher in Israel, and he comes to Jesus by night. I believe we are in a season when there are a lot of religious leaders who are beginning to take another look at the gospel, the new covenant, and the gospel of grace, and the gospel of the kingdom, which to me are kind of synonymous terms. And uh, they are coming by night because they are recognizing that a whole lot of stuff that they've been preaching really has an old covenant to it. And God really desires to make able ministers of the new covenant to us. I can remember receiving a prophecy in my first, I believe it was two or three years of, of traveling ministry, and a word of the Lord came to me that God said, I'm going to make you an able. He said, you will enter into the wings of the jets and you will go and come and you will wash your feet in one ocean and within 12 months you will wash your feet in the other ocean and you will go and come around the globe and i will make you an able minister of the new covenant i can't tell you that i really knew what an able minister of the new covenant was at that time but i believe the lord is raising me up for that very purpose and that is to declare the new covenant with clarity and leaders and rulers who are sincere are coming they, they're, they're, they're coming, some of them by night, some by day, but they're searching for answers because, see here, just like Nicodemus who came by night, he had had the fullness, he was one of the top rulers of the synagogue. And he came to Jesus because religion was not satisfying the thirst of his soul any longer. And so he comes to Jesus and Jesus says to him, Nicodemus, you you must be born again. And so what he's saying to Nick, I call him Nick at night. I guess you probably heard me say that in prior teachings. But when Jesus comes to Nicodemus, he says to him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And uh, Nicodemus says, how can a man that's old be born? And Jesus begins to tell him, Nicodemus, you've got to be born of the Spirit. In other words, what he's saying to Nicodemus is, you're a Jew, and you're a ruler of the synagogue, but your ethnic background is not what saves you. It is your new birth, and you receiving really this Messiah that was standing inside of you, not standing, but standing in front of him introducing what was about to come that all of the prophecies that had pointed to the coming of these days that they were living in was now upon them. And he's saying to Nicodemus, listen man, I'm about to bring about a new creation and it's going to come through new birth, so your ethnic background and you being Abraham's seed is not enough. And Jesus reiterates that all the way through many of the gospels. He said if you were Abraham's seed you would believe what I'm saying because Abraham's seed, the true seed of Abraham are so clearly defined in Galatians 3 and 4, they are the children of faith, they are the believers. And so Jesus says to Jewish people, you are not Abraham's seed, you you are of your father the devil. Now that doesn't mean that I am anti-Semitic by any stretch of the imagination, because I believe Jesus loves all people. And I think that what He's saying here is simply this, is that if you're going to be true children of God, you're going to have to come through new birth. And that new birth is going to come when you receive and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so then he went into this long uh, discourse with Nicodemus that that at first glance again looks like you know it's just you know I've heard, you know the wind blows where it listeth, and and you don't know where it comes from or where it goes and uh, you know nicodemus and i you you can go back and, and again i did four programs just on nicodemus you can go back and listen to them they were the last four that we just did But what what Nicodemus was thinking in terms of, he's thinking in terms of what he understands from the Old Testament, and he's thinking about a prophecy in Ezekiel 37 about the breath coming into dry bones and there being a resurrection of an army of God, and he's thinking about a Messiah that is to come and bring that resurrection. Now, I'm going to go back and, and, uh, and I'm going to read a few things from that in just a moment, but I wanted to show you that there are spiritual overtones not overtones. They are the depth that that can be plummeted, and and there's no way I can exhaust it myself. There's so much riches in this stuff until, uh, you know, I feel like I'm almost inadequate to teach it. But in the midst of me studying this, as I've got ready to come to uh, the next chapter where we're going to deal with uh, another person, because there's a woman of Samaria that he's going to deal with who does not come by night. Remember, Nicodemus comes by night and this woman comes to the well by day. Now Nicodemus has turned to what he thought was, uh, you know, uh, religion was to satisfy the thirst of his soul, but this Samaritan woman had turned to uh, the things like, for instance, Jesus is going to address the fact that she's had five husbands, and the one that she's with now is not her husband. That makes six now uh, you you know you if you, you if you can see some some spiritual patterns here six if that's the sixth husband that she is with six is the number of fallen man it's, fa- it's the number of Adam and uh, he was created on the sixth day and uh, she, he, she what he's saying is that you have been married to everything that the Adam family has to offer the flesh and all that the flesh and you have looked to that to satisfy the thirst of your soul, but you, what, what you've realized is that you're not satisfied by those things either. So, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but one of the things that I did want to say about that is that what I believe is happening to all of humanity is that they are realizing, if you've been in church any length of time, you have come to the place somewhere in your life where you say, this is not satisfying me. And that reality is, religion cannot satisfy you. It can distract you, but yet you sit in the pew week after week and you think to yourself, I'm afraid to say this. But there's got to be more. As I talk to pastors and leaders even all over the place, they are telling me they have come to the end of themselves in some areas where they, they themselves are frustrated, ready to leave the ministry, uh, and because they are coming to the end of what's not working anymore. That may not be such a bad place. It may be just the place where God begins to bring real satisfaction to your soul, where He brings you the offering of a water to drink that you will not thirst again. I think that is so powerfully incredible. And I'm just going to take my time in unpacking this today and not get in a hurry and just flow with what I feel the Spirit say because I believe somebody's listening to me today that is experiencing this thirst. Either Nicodemus' thirst or you may have tuned in for the first time and you don't even watch Christian television and your life has literally fell apart and it's full of chaos and everything else and you, 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 you you've turned to all of that you thought that was the answer but all it did was numb you and keep you distracted and you all of a sudden have turned the channel and come into contact with uh, maybe somebody' sitting on the well just like Jesus did I probably ought to read this text but I'm going to talk a little bit and uh, you know he comes to here and he sets on that well because he said listen I'm going to, he's going, I believe I believe Jesus has come in this hour I feel something prophetic on me right now I believe the spirit of the Lord has come and and, and, and the Lord is literally setting down on some wells In other words, He is stopping the flow of what you used to look for for satisfaction because He's about to bring you to a change that's going to so refresh you and give you to drink a water that's going to make you lose your appetite for everything else. And one of the key things that happens in the latter part of this chapter 4 of John is she left her water pot you will never be willing to leave your water pot until you found out there's something better. And I think sometimes we keep on trying to pe- get people to give this up or stop doing that without ever offering them something that says taste and see that the Lord is good and what He wants to do is truly offer you a life. While I was talking about that a few moments ago, I was reminded of something that I preached a number of years ago, out of the Song of Solomon, where uh, the the Bible said, He brought me to the secret place of the stairs. I believe it's in chapter 2 of the Song of Solomon. He brought me to the secret place of the stairs, and a number of years ago, I heard the Lord really speak clearly to me from that verse because I was in my journey as well out of transitioning out of the bondage of old covenant thinking and and, and legalism and and law and performance based Christianity and on the journey in a way I'd never gone before. And it seemed like I had gotten to the end of, uh, you know, where I really was just discouraged and thinking, you know what? I'm preaching this, but it ain't even working for me. I'm talking about preaching the old covenant, preaching those performance-based things. I'm thinking to myself, all it does is is create this sense of what a failure I am and how empty I am. And it was always man-centered, need-based, standing at altars, begging God for more of Him and more of Him. And I'm going to tell you, you can't get any more of God of His fullness we have already received in grace for grace. Now, you can you could ask God, for the manifestation of what's in it, and I think that's the distraction that people are waiting around because they don't think they've already got it. But I'm telling you, this will be in you a well of water springing up into everlasting life. But in those moments where it was always we're trying to reach the next level, we're going to go higher, and it was always like it's never, you never enough. And and, and don't get me wrong, I do believe there are levels of manifestation that comes out of the awareness and reality of what you have inside of you. And it's coming to an awakening and an awareness and a revelation of what you already have and how you're already accepted and how you're already righteous. It will flow out of a being instead of a doing in order to try to earn something that God has already freely given to you. It's like me giving you a Christmas gift and you sat sitting there and unwrap it and then sit there and beg me for the same thing you've already got. I think one of the greatest revelations that's going to come to the church is that you've already got what you think you have to seek for. It's already inside of you. Now I don't want to chase that rabbit too long, but I want to say this to you. In my journey and in my searching, there was a hunger and there was a thirst and there were times when I contemplated you know this could be, like I I can remember going through a situation it's probably been 20 some years ago right now where I thought to myself I was so struggling with my faith. I was in a crisis of faith. People don't realize that's what they go through. And they get in depression or they walk away from things of God or they, and at that moment I was contemplating, you know maybe I just need to You know, I would stand in the pulpit and preach and think, I don't even believe this anymore. Uh, And and I would think to myself, I think I'm just going to go back to school and get uh, you know, an education in some other dimension and just get out of this thing called ministry and uh, you know, just enjoy my life and journey together. And it was in that moment that the Lord began to say to me out of the Song of Solomon, you've come to the secret place of the stairs. I said, Lord, what are you saying? He said, I, I said, because I've hit this wall, man. I've hit this wall in the spirit. And I, I feel like I've just smacked into it. And I, you know, I, I hit this what I call spiritual wall. I feel like I'm talking to somebody today. You hit this wall and you've done everything to get out. You've tried to climb this wall. You, you've marched around the wall seven times. You've anointed it with oil. You've cast down, pulled up, plucked up. Then you binded it and loosed it, and you went into a conference on how to get rid of the wall. You bought the syllabus, the tapes, and all of the stuff that goes with it, and you got back and it seemed to relieve you for a little while, but all of a sudden you realize the wall's still there. Then you tried to run through a troop and leap over the wall, and it seemed like you could not get over this wall. And in my moments of frustration where I felt like, well. this just is not working for me any longer. It's at that point that the Lord said to me, you have not come to a wall at all. You have come to the riser, listen to me, you've come to the riser of a step. Because if you can think, if you're sitting in your living room right now and you've got a staircase anywhere near you, there is always a riser and then a step. A riser and then a step. And when I realized that what I'd done is come to the end of what that step that I had been in was, and I had come to a riser and I thought it was a wall, and I thought it was the end, and it was disappointing to me. And I'm as I look back many times at people who are still remaining, where we were at 40 years ago, I think to myself how disappointed they must be. And almost Christianity has become drudgery where all that they have seemingly left is, I can't wait till I die and go home to be with Jesus. But I'm telling you, we are missing so much more of what the gospel has for us because it's not just about getting to heaven someday. That while that's part of the package, he's declaring to them that believing you could have life through his name. This incredible journey With him in this new covenant reality is sweeter every single day. And it was at that place that I realized that this was not a wall, but it was a riser of a step. And it was almost as if in the spirit I could see myself coming to this, uh, if you will, uh, wall and pulling myself up over it and just, you know, just straining and picking and looking. And as I looked up over the edges of this wall, I could see glory for as far as I could see. And the Lord said to me, come up hither. Come up higher. Don't just come to the end of your journey, but come to the secret place of the stairs where you will begin to taste and see that the Lord is good. You drink of something that will satisfy you enough that you'll leave your water pot and say, listen, I'm, I'm, listen, if you've come to that place in religion, or you've come to that place in the world, you've come to a good place. Let me just show you something. If I'm going to quickly do this, I, I really did not get to John 4 to read the text, but we have talked about it. But I want to read to you something from uh, the 6th chapter of the book of Romans, and I want to read it to you from the Message Bible, because I think what happens is that people swing back and forth between this, uh, these, if you will, Jacob's well, so to speak. They swing back and forth to whatever the Jacob's well is to you, whether it's religion or it's the world. So you get folks that are coming out of the world, and then we end up bringing them into religion, and that doesn't satisfy them. Or you've got folks who've been bound by religion so long, and for the first time they hear a message of freedom, and the first thing you know, they're over here into the wilderness of sin, so to speak. But see, I want to tell you there's a place where it's true freedom. Now, I want to just... uh, uh, let, me, let me just begin uh, to, to read this from the Message Bible. It says, when we went under the water, this is probably about verse 2 of, uh, well, let me read a few verses of it. Verse 1, 2, so, so what do we do? Keep on sinning. So God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That's what happened in baptism when we went under the water. We left the old country of sin behind, and when we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace. Uh, The new country of grace, Graceland, where Adam has left the building, a new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the waters like the burial of Jesus, and when we are raised up out of the waters like the resurrection of Jesus, each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see see where we're going in our new grace sovereign country. Uh, Isn't that wonderful that you could come into a grace-filled country? Let me tell you, the water is good here. We're about to run out of time. Just tune in next week and let me just, again, just unpack this. But if you'd like to so seed in a minute, just call the number that's on that screen and or go to our website and that's the easiest way to give. Thank you for joining us. God bless you. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving father. It is about moving from the old covenant, government of condemnation, to the new covenant, government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.